0: Well, good evening, and uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, you are the one who is just, and before you we tremble. Help us now, Lord, to be those who tremble at your word. Help us to do justice to it. Help us not to reject or neglect what your word tells us about you. Help us, too, in humility, not to go beyond what your word tells us. And we pray that now, as we study your word, what it has to say about who you are and your character, we realize there is nothing higher we could think of. This is beyond us, O Lord, and so we ask for your help. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you. Be with us by your spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. The world imagined by John Lennon is a world free from the tyranny of a cosmic dictator, free from the shackles of religion, free from living in fear of divine judgment. A world with no final justice, no heaven for the righteous, no hell for the wicked, no ultimate consequences, just a level playing field for everyone to get along. Lenin invites us to imagine... A world like that. And there's two deep problems with Lenin's imagined and longed for world, aren't there? The first is that it's a world of pure imagination. It's not the real world we live in, it's a make believe fairy tale land that we have to make up even while imagining it with our two feet planted firmly in reality. And thank goodness that it is a make-believe land. Because the second problem is that a world like that would be utterly horrific. Imagine with me for a moment. No heaven, no hell, and all the people living only for today. That's a world where might is right. Where Hitler, Stalin, and Mao Zedong, they just get away with it a world where rape and trafficking and murder face no accountability whatsoever, a world in which it's really true that the only crime is getting caught, a world where the cries of the abused simply echo back and forth across a universe of blind, pitiless indifference. Well, Mr. Lenin. I've imagined your worlds. I've felt its sinister chill, and now I'd like, please, to go back to the warm parlor of reality. John Lennon wasn't the first to imagine a world where there's no heaven and no hell, and no consequences for what we do. Thousands of years before Beatlemania gripped the nation, another songwriter sang about the same worlds. Asaph was his name. And he wrote Psalm seventy three about his experience imagining that world. He was envious of the wicked, with their comfort and ease and wealth. Asaph was thinking that all his efforts to write to show generosity and kindness, well, they were all a waste. Better that you just get what you can and enjoy it whilst it lasts, every man for himself. But then Asaph awoke to reality. He remembered that there is a good God who will bring ruin to all those who have lifted themselves up by putting others down. He remembered that a day is coming when God will put an end to all who have been unfaithful. It is truly good news for this world that there is a just God who will judge every person. Not because we are better than those who will be judged, but because we are just as bad And we need that. We're going to spend our time this evening considering the justice of God. And I hope that we'll see that the justice of God is a terrible plight for all the religious and self-righteous. But the fact that God is just is the best news imaginable for rebellious, proud, foolish, but repentant sinners like us. Our world is on a collision course with the judgment of God. And the only place that we have to take refuge is in the justice of God. We'll spend our time looking at what the Bible has to say on this doctrine, that God is just. And first, we'll look at the doctrine itself. Secondly, we'll consider the justice of God in relation to his other attributes. And finally, we'll consider the justice of God in our salvation So let's turn to that first point. God is just and the biblical doctrine that is taught. When we say that God is just, well, what do we mean? God's justice is intimately connected with his holiness that we looked at last week in this series. God's holiness is his character of moral perfection in and of himself. And God's justice is the result of that perfection in his outward actions everything that God does is right. And we can describe the perfection of his actions in three ways. God's actions are just in that they are morally right and perfect. God's actions are just in that they are legally proper and upright. They're never in contradiction to his word and what he has said. And thirdly, God's actions are just in that they're honourable. They're never open to charges of being dishonorable. God is absolutely just in all that he does and his inability to do otherwise is his perfection of justice. This attribute of God as just is most often connected in the Bible to his role as judge. God is the just judge who, will, who holds court over every human being, every word and every action, and holds everyone to account. God's justice means that he cannot and will not allow a single wrong to go unpunished. The idea that God is our perfectly just judge is not a popular idea today, as John Lennon showed us, but it is the clear and consistent teaching of the Scripture all the way through. God's justice is first seen in the scriptures in Genesis 3 as God judges the first man and woman for their rebellion against him and his law, and he punishes them for his disobedience with the curse. And this fallen and sinful and cursed world is the reason why a world without justice in the end would be unthinkably frightening. The rest of the Old Testament, the scriptures that Jesus himself memorized, taught, lived by, and affirms. That Old Testament continually teaches that God is just and that he expresses his justice in his role as judge. Let me read to you just a few of the Bible's descriptions of God and his justice to get an idea of just how regular this truth is about the God of the Bible. Don't worry about writing all these down. Just listen as I read them and reflect on how consistent this teaching is in the Scriptures. Genesis 18.25 Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Deuteronomy 10:18. 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, without iniquity, just and upright is he. Ezra 9.15 O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just. Job 8.3 Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? Job 34.12 Of a truth God will not do wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Psalm 9.7 But the Lord sits in thrones forever. He has established his throne for justice. Psalm 33, verse 5, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 37, 28, The Lord loves justice. Psalm 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Psalm 99, verse 4, The king in his might loves justice. You have established equality. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 111, verse 7. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Isaiah 5, 16. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Isaiah 61 verse 8 For I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. See how consistent and frequent this description of God as just is. But what about the New Testament? Well, we often hear the idea that the God of the Old Testament is a nasty, judgmental, unloving, and angry God. But in the New Testament, we have the gentle, kind, loving, and peaceful Jesus. But that idea, that dichotomy just isn't true the Old Testament tells us of a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And indeed it is his steadfastness and his faithfulness that are seen in his justice. The Old Testament looks forward to the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the one who will bring God's justice. Isaiah 42 1-4 Behold my servant who I am and the coastlands wait for his law. Jesus himself claims to be the one who will enact justice as the judge of everyone. Matthew 25, 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the results of this judgment of Jesus will be praise. Revelation 16, verses 5 and 7. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who was, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The New Testament also teaches that every single person will stand under the judgment of God on that day, even those who are in Christ, saved from the punishment that they deserve, will stand before this just judge and give an account for everything that they've done. Romans 14, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Well, here endeth today's reading. Do you see how clearly the Bible teaches from the start to the finish that God is absolutely just and he will judge everyone in his justice? We can't duck away from it and we can't deny it. But God's justice helps us to understand our world rightly. It's a very different world from that one imagined by John Lennon. Because in this world, every action, every word and every thought is meaningful Everything that we do goes beyond today and on into eternity. Everything done by every person will be judged and found to be either commendable or blameworthy. And so, friends, that means however insignificant you may feel that you are, however insignificant you think the things that you're doing day to day are, You and they are actually of infinite value. The smallest acts of kindness and goodness done for Jesus' sake are seen and counted and treasured by the God who is there. That's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 25 when he teaches about judgment, isn't it? A cup of water, a visit, hospitality to strangers, all of those counted and rewarded on that day. And it also means, Christian, that you'll give an account to the risen Lord Jesus for everything that you've been given. That doesn't mean, of course, does it, that we aren't allowed to enjoy the good things that God has given to us. Every good gift comes from him for us to enjoy. Nothing's to be neglected if it's received with thanksgiving. But it does mean that one day I'll look Jesus in the face and I'll tell him why I use my time and my money And my energy and my opportunities that he gave me as I did? Will I be able to meet his gaze while reflecting on the hours I've spent on the Xbox, Instagram, or watching box sets? Will I be able to meet the eye of the risen Lord Jesus when I show him how much of my income went to fund his global mission and how much went on luxuries and comforts for myself? Well, God's justice gives significance to the smallest of actions and brings accountability to the greatest of powers, the cries of the marginalized, the oppressed, and the abused. In this world, they don't go unheard. And one day, every person will be called to give an account of how they used the authority that was lent to them for a time. From the playground bully to the greatest dictator of our world, each will be put in the dock and the charges read in full. You'll remember the news from the Hague trial last year. General Preljak, who was being tried tried for war crimes in the UN courts, and upon hearing the verdicts of the courts that he was guilty, he drank poison and died. He thought that he was saving himself from the consequences of his evil actions all those years ago. But you see, he really just delivered himself from a temporary and limited courtroom of the UN to the courtroom of the just gods. For all of us, there's no escaping the consequences of our actions. And for all of us who know the agony of injustice in our worlds, One day, those who've done those things to us will be held to account. Well, let me pause for a moment and address two questions at this point. Firstly, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I wonder what you make of all this. A malevolent bully setting the bar far too high, watching to see us trip up and then inflicting eternal punishment on us for it. But you see that if justice is to mean anything at all in our world, the standard has to be perfection. The world we all want. It can't include dictators and rapists and killers. But it also can't include liars and cheats and gossips. Even the smallest things that hurt other people are a blemish on the world that we so desperately crave. And the line dividing good. And evil. It doesn't lie along national borders that we can get rid of, across class divisions or religious communities or political opinions. As the Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn saw so clearly, the line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart. So, as we consider justice, only a standard of perfection will do, and yet a perfect standard condemns every one of us. And the message of Jesus Christ is nothing to do with trying to make yourself better so that you might get over the bar and make yourself acceptable to God. The message that Jesus taught and told is that all of us stand condemned before a totally just God. And our only hope is that the just God who is our judge and our jury would also stand as our defense counsel. If you want to know more about these things, well, you're in exactly the right place. Talk to the regulars here. What would that mean in your life to see your judge and jury become your own defense counsel? Second question. For Christians, well, what about social justice issues? If we have a God who is totally just and cares deeply about justice, what does that mean about how we should be involved in issues of injustice in our world? Well, it means that we must care about the marginalized and the oppressed. We should always seek to do whatever we can to stop injustice and promote justice. But we need to remember as we do that that this world will not be put right by our efforts or our organizations or our social media campaigns. Only Jesus, when he comes again as judge, will put that world to rights. The Bible teaches us that for every human being, no matter how victimized they are, no matter how marginalized they've been and oppressed, their greatest need is to escape the wrath of of God that is coming on their own wrongdoing. So yes, let's get involved in stopping injustice wherever we can, but we mustn't let relieving temporary suffering replace or diminish our concern to see men and women, and children escape eternal suffering by trusting in the Lord Jesus. John Piper puts it helpfully, Christians must care about all suffering and most especially about eternal suffering. The words of Jesus himself, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? God is just, He will judge all of us, and that judgment gives meaning to everything that we do and holds us accountable for everything that we do. So let's come now to our second point. Well, how does God being just relate to the other attributes that we've been considering in this series? As we consider God's different attributes and characteristics, God is not compounded of his different attributes with his justice over here and his love over here and his eternity over here. All that is in God is God. His attributes aren't in conflict and tension with each other, but they're one and the same with each other, interpenetrating one another. God's justice contains all of his other attributes. God's justice is his loving justice. It is his eternal justice. It is his patient justice, and so on. And each of his other attributes contain his justice. His love is his just love. His patience is his just patience. His mercy is his just mercy. And so as we consider God's justice in relation to his other attributes, the first thing that we see is that we shouldn't think of God's justice in any kind of tension or opposition To anything else about Him. But that's how we often talk about God, isn't it? We explain the gospel in terms of His love and His justice. God is a really loving God who made us and gave us every good thing, and we've turned our back on Him and rejected Him. And because God is loving, He really wants to save us, He wants us to know Him again. But you see, God is also just, and so he has to punish sin. And we give the impression that God's love pulls him one way and his justice pulls him another way. And the question is really just which will win. In his love, we say God really wants to just forgive everyone. But unfortunately, in his justice, he has to punish us instead. But you see, there's no such conflict in God's. His love is a totally just love, and his justice is a totally loving justice. And it's his love for a ruined world that won't just sweep sin under the carpet and pretend it never happens. That kind of moral indifference would only be unjust, but it would also be profoundly unloving, wouldn't it? God's love and justice, they don't pull him into different directions. His love and his justice both demand together that he punish sin. And they also demand that he offers forgiveness to anyone who would put their trust in Jesus. Secondly, as we consider God's justice and his other attributes, we ask the question, well, what qualifies God for this task and role of judging everyone? It's because of who he is, the totality of his attributes, that God can act as the just judge of everyone in the world. Let's think that through, just for a moment, in terms of the traditional omni attributes of God. Omni is that Latin prefix for all, as in an omnivore, a creature or a student who just eats anything that's put in front of them. Um, They'll eat anything. An omnivore, they eat it all. And Christians, for centuries, have described three of God's attributes in terms of these omnis: omniscience, that God knows absolutely everything; omnipresence, that God is everywhere and omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. Do you see how all of these characteristics make God the perfect, just judge? Because God knows everything. He knows every injustice that has ever been committed, and he knows it comprehensively, and from every side of the story. And so when God acts as judge, there's no need to put folders of evidence before him in case he'd miss a fact. There's no need to call in expert witnesses to interpret the facts in a new light because God already knows every interpretation of all of the facts. He knows every best intention and he knows every worst scheme. Because God is everywhere, there's nothing that he's unaware of. So often we don't do anything about the injustices in our world because they're just so far away from us. And we think that we can hide the worst things that we do and say by distancing ourselves from other people. So long as there's no one around to see them, we get away with them. But God always is. Nothing is hidden from his gaze. Nothing is overlooked in his inspection. And because God is all-powerful, his course of justice never falls short. God doesn't run out of resources or police time to commit to a case. God sees it all. He knows every side of every story. He cannot be hindered by anyone, and he will always do what is right. And so there's no escape from God's justice. On that day when the books are opened, everything will come out and be plain for all to see. And so, Christian, I wonder if there's anything that you need to deal with. Confess to a spouse, a friend, or a fellow church member all that you thought you could hide so well. The history deleted at the click of a button. The trail of deception that you left to cover over your shame. It will all come out on that day. And so let me urge you, Confess, repent today. You don't need to hide when forgiveness is available. But much better to be transparent and open today to deal with the difficult and painful consequences of your sin and shame than to have it all spill out on that great day when the books are opened Well, as we consider God's justice and his role as judge, we might get the impression that God is kind of like a great speed camera in the sky. He's just waiting to get us. And there's no compassion or warmth. But the biblical writers, they saw no tension or difficulty in putting God's warmth and love and fatherly goodness alongside his unbending justice. 1 Peter 1 And as you call on him as father who who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We call on him as father, intimate, close, warm, friendly, and yet he judges us impartially. God's other attributes show him to be perfectly qualified for the task of judging the world. They help us to understand his justice rightly, not pitting it against his love, his kindness, his patience, or his fatherliness? Well, let's turn finally to consider God's justice and our salvation. Justice and salvation. God is far too loving and far too good to just sweep away wrongdoing and pretend that it never happens. We all know instinctively, don't we, that it's not right for people to just get away with it. How often when we're watching our team play and the last man is taken out by the dirtiest of tackles we cry out to the ref for justice and we hate that referee who just lets the other team get away with it and doesn't penalize the wrong. When playing the family board game at Christmas don't you cry out at the injustice when your siblings bend the rules in their favor? And how much more with The more meaningful breaches of justice and goodness in our worlds. Wrongdoing cannot be simply swept away. Romans three presents the cross as God's master plan to both offer forgiveness and to satisfy justice. He can't just forgive us and pretend it never happens. But in his mercy, he's made a way for justice to be served while offering forgiveness to rebels. Romans 3 from verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The cross is God's strategy to maintain justice in the justification of sinners. Payment must be made for sin. Wrath must be poured out. The penalty must be faced. And so God takes it upon himself. God the Father sends his Son. God the Son goes willingly to take our place, as we saw so clearly this morning in the story of Barabbas. As Jesus dies on the cross in our place, under the sentence of our death, Divine justice is satisfied, isn't it? The cross shows us the depth of God's love for a world in rebellion against him, giving his most precious son, pouring out his wrath upon him instead of on us. But the cross also shows us God's unwavering commitment to justice. Every man has his price, they say. There comes a point where no matter what the strength of our convictions are, the cost is so great that we'll bend the rules, make an exception just for this case, we say. But God's commitment to justice is so great that he'll even put his son on a cross and pour out his wrath upon him. This view of the cross satisfying the just anger of God, it's been popular since, well, the days of the cross. Steve Chalk recently, in his book, The Lost Message of Jesus, calls this view of the cross cosmic child abuse. And Chalk rules this view as so disturbing that it should not be taken seriously as biblical doctrine but if we empty the cross of its significance as a work of justice as so many like chalk want to we end up emptying the cross of all of its meaning the cross is only an act of love when it is fundamentally an act of justice often Christians once say that the cross has nothing to do with justice or judgment it's just a display of God's love for the world look how loving God is here's how much I love you, God says, I'll die for you. But outside of the context of justice, that isn't a display of love at all. If I were walking down the street with you and I said to you, let me just show you how much I love you, and then I jumped in front of a bus, that wouldn't do anything to assure you of my love, would it? If you were in the past, of an out of control bus however and I was to jump in the way pushing you out saving you from death at the cost of my own life well that would be an act of supreme love if the cross is simply Jesus dying for no real purpose it's an act of brutal and meaningless insanity but as Jesus pays our debt and satisfies the justice of God's On the cross, he displays his love for us. In salvation, God's justice shows his love. His justice also gives us perfect assurance and security. Between school and university, I worked briefly in a bank as a teller. And the most satisfying job that I got was when people would come in to pay off their credit cards. They'd put their payment slip through the little window And I'd settle the balance from their account on the system. And then I got to pick up the stamp of the bank and slam it down on the paper and write paid in full. The stamp guaranteed that all of the debt was paid. And if anyone were to now come along and accuse Mrs. Smith of being in their debt through her credit card, she could just pull out that little bit of paper and show them it's paid in full and that payment is guaranteed by all of the weight of the Clydesdale Bank that's what God's justice means for us he's fully paid our debt and because he is just he can never demand payment again God himself has bound himself by his promise to demand punishment for sins that were paid for at the cross. Well, that would be unjust. God's justice means that he always does what is right and honorable and fair. And that means he comes in terrifying judgment against all of us for our rebellion against him and our treatment of other people. But God's justice is also the best news for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ alone. His justice is what secures and guarantees our salvation, our position in Christ, our position as sons and heirs in his household forever. And so well, we might sing, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are unwavering in your commitment to justice. We thank you that there is nothing and no one that can cause you to bend. We thank you that you will judge all wickedness. We thank you that you hear every cry And yet, Lord, as we recognize ourselves as those who have committed evil atrocities in the world that you will judge, we cast ourselves to your mercy, to your justice. We look to Christ. How we thank you that in your justice you have paid for our sins in, in full on the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you that that means we can never face condemnation for what we have done. And Lord, we pray that we would live our lives in the light of that great coming day. Help us to use all that you've given us, knowing that we will give an account. And we pray that on that day, we might not be ashamed. We wouldn't be embarrassed by what comes out. But we would be able to rejoice in the great God who saved us from all our sin and brought us into your loving and just family. Pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.